This is WCM's Park Update, a weekly show covering the outdoor hospitality industry hosted by Ben Quiggle and Mike Gast. During each episode, you'll hear from special guests and campground experts on topics that will help your park flourish. WCM's Park Update is a production of Woodall's Campground Magazine. Hi, I'm Ben Quiggle, editor of Woodall's Campground Magazine. And this is another edition of WCM's Park Update, which is sponsored by Bush Tech Safari USA. And my esteemed colleague, Mike Gast, Vice President of Communication, former Vice President of Communication for Campgrounds of America. I'm not going back to work. Yeah, he doesn't want to go back to work. So, <laughs> uh, and our guest this week is Sean Vidrine, CEO of Four Points RV Resorts, and they own six, it, I think on your website, it says six RV resorts. I don't know. Are you guys working on any more? We have some deals in the pipeline that we're looking at currently, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think uh, four of them were Yogi Bear Jellystone Parks, um, and I know we just ran a release um, here recently on the one at Pine Lakes, which is in Illinois. You guys did a ton of upgrades at that park, but you also have two independent ones, um, Paradise Ranch RV Resort and Pioneer Lakes RV Park, yep. and so you guys kind of have the franchise side and the private park side, I guess. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So um, what I guess, you know, I guess the easiest question here at the beginning, when you look at the portfolio, I guess, you know, what appealed to you on the Yogi Bear side? What, you know, are, are all of your parks eventually going to be Jellystone parks or do you like having a little bit of both? Um, we like having a little bit of both. I mean, we do like the Jellystone brand. Um, you know, Jellystone has done a very good job uh, marketing uh, the product, you know, to let families know that it's a place where they can take children and, you know, there's plenty of activities. There's a lot of amenities. So uh, they've done a really good job, you know, driving that message. Um, but there are some parks uh, that we have in a portfolio that had a pretty large following uh, prior to. So we just decided to go ahead and keep those private because um, we didn't feel like that the um, that it would be good for the Jellystone brand and or the park in those particular situations. But we've also bought parks um, that were privately uh, branded and brought them into the Jellystone system. So it's really about leveraging that brand in markets where we feel like that it will have a bigger impact. So Sean, what's your growth curve look like? Uh, where the, when did you start and how quickly did you grow? Yeah, so, um, so we bought our first park, which is Paradise Ranch in 2019, in, in March of 2019. So from 2019 uh, through current, you know, we actually we just closed on Jellystone Park at Lake Monroe in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, making it our sixth location. So, you know, um, you know, our trend right now is like six parks over the last four years. Um, we feel like that that's going to probably continue to escalate. Um, we... Um, we believe that now is actually a good time to buy. You know, even though rates are high, um, we feel like um, that opportunity um, is going to be coming along where prices are going to be a little bit more reasonable. Um, they, I know that they were inflated during the COVID years and in a couple of years prior to that. So we feel like there's going to be a good opportunity right to do acquisition and, uh, and add um, some nice assets to the portfolio. So it, it looks like you're, spread out pretty good are you trying to trying to keep it geographically centered or are you just look at everywhere yeah so that's a good question you know whenever we first uh, started and we decided to go ahead and buy multiple parks you know one thing that we did is we we did not want to limit ourselves from an opportunity based on geographic location 
So we felt like it was good to just look at every single deal. And if it made sense at the time, then we would go ahead and take it and bring it to the portfolio. Um, we thought about, you know, should we get more, you know, should we be more specific to a certain geographic location? And we felt like if we did that, then we would be limiting or possibly not looking at opportunities that otherwise would make sense. Um, so with that being said, I mean, there are certain characteristics, characteristics that we look for. And whenever we do do an acquisition, but as of right now, uh, we don't want to really limit the location or the geographic area that we're not looking in because we picked up some really nice assets that otherwise we may not have. What are you, it looks like all of your parks are pretty much family friendly. Is that something you guys are really into creating like a family, family campgrounds, I guess? Yes, absolutely. Um, we are, you know, we, we do uh, build out family destination parks. I mean, we are the destination. We want families to come and spend their vacations with us and we want to provide a good experience. So that is our target market. Um, we don't really have a desire for, um, for you know, large seasonal uh, parks. Um, we really like, you know, a mixture of the seasonal and transient business and we just feel like that it's a better atmosphere whenever families are together and we're providing an experience that they can, you know, that these young kids will remember for the rest of their life. So that's what we're really going for. So how driven by data are you guys? Do you collect a lot of data and make your decisions on amenities, for instance, on that, on that sort of information? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything that we do is, is data driven. Um, before we make an investment, um, you know, we really underwrite the deal. Uh, based on what we think we can do there, occupancy rates, you know, demographics. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it whenever we're underwriting. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of proprietary tools that we use that was developed by one of our former partners that's no longer with us and um, that had a very good understanding of the industry. So we're able to use that and leverage those tools and, uh, and bring that data in. And then basically from that point, then we take a look at what we can do once we start adding different amenities and what is that gonna, how is that gonna enhance the property and how is that gonna drive demand? Yeah. Um, when you're, uh, you know, when you take a look at your portfolio, I guess, are you looking at developing any parks down the road? Is it just mainly acquiring or are you gonna- Yeah, so we, we have looked at it. Um, I'm not gonna say yes or no 100%. We certainly are looking at those options. Um, but for us currently, we like the model of buying uh, what I would call cash flow producing assets that have the ability to um, to be uh, expanded as well as to be able to drive rate and upside. So we do like, you know, properties that are already there and established, but um, we have looked and are possibly looking at some deals in the future that are ground up. I just, I don't want to rule it out, but it's, it's certainly not something that we are, um, that we're looking to do first. If we can find, if we can find an asset that we like in a location that has the characteristics that we like that's already existing and we have the ability to expand it and add, amenita add amenities to it, then that's what we love prefer, prefer to do. What, um, you know, you guys obviously work with the Jellystone Park franchise. Any uh, thoughts on maybe working with KOA down the road or? Yeah, I mean, um, we, 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 yeah, we've certainly, um, we've certainly, um, talk to uh, other owners that are KOA owners. We have yeah. some in our company group and uh, we, yeah. And I will tell you, I mean, we like the KOA brand as well. It, um, you know, I've got some very good friends of ours that have done very well with KOA that really believe in the brand and talk very highly of it. So yeah. uh, certainly something that's not off the table, but if we were to do a KOA type product, then it would probably be a, a resort style uh, KOA rather than a journey or a holiday. 
So um, it's certainly something that is not off the table. Any thoughts to like creating your own brand? I know that's been getting kind of popular too, where people are like, you know, I have Camp Fimfo, um, you got Beyonder Camp now, um, you know, anything, you know, maybe you can create a, your own brand with a mascot. You could be in the mascot, Sean. <laughs> you know, so. that, that, that's very interesting. There certainly is a trend <laughs> in the industry that we see that happening. Um, yeah. But what I can tell you is that, you know, KOA and Camp Jellystone have done such a good job of branding those parks. We just feel like it's better for us to be a part of a recognizable brand because we can get where we want faster rather than, um, you know, trying to build out something that is going to be just exclusive to the portfolio that we have. So um, branding is very important. It's, re you know, especially KOA and Jellystone is that they're recognizable in the industry. So yeah. you have the ability to partner with good partners like that, and which we have a great relationship with Camp Jellystone. Um, I don't think that we have a need to go out and try to create a private brand. And, and quite frankly, I don't have the desire to do that. I want to partner with brands that are powerful. So when you're on a, a large growth curve like you are, what, what's changed with the financing in the last couple of years? It's got to be a lot tighter. It is. Uh, we've certainly seen the capital markets tighten up. You know, the financing is not nearly as easy. There are financial partners that we have a relationship that we've worked with. So we're still able to get deals done from a banking standpoint. But I think more importantly, what it's done is that it's gotten we're starting to see a trend where the pricing of assets are starting to become more in line of where they should be rather than being inflated the way that they were over the past two years. So that's that's what's you know, what we're looking at is, you know, you know, the pricing again, you know, cap rates driven by interest rates. But as far as financing goes, we're also seeing some owners are being a little bit more flexible and possibly carrying a portion of seller debt, you know, to help the banks, um, you know, the loan to values. If we can get the loan to value with a bank lower than what they were typically doing in the past and the seller is willing to participate in that, then they'll have a better chance of exiting whenever they want to. And then whenever rates come back down, then we'll give an opportunity to refi and take them out. So you got into this right before COVID hit and, uh, so I'm sure that was an adventure and uh, a pleasant surprise on the other side of it. But what uh, what have you learned so far about the the changing face of a camper and what they're looking for in their experience level? Well, I can tell you, at least in the experience that I've had over the past four years, is that um, at least in the customer base that we're targeting, they're all looking for an experience. And that, that will vary. I mean, if you have campers that have their own RVs that will, you know, that want a different experience from somebody that's running a glamping unit or a, a cabin or a safari tent. So, but, but at the end of the day, what we're noticing is that um, they want an experience. And I can't speak for other type of parks, but like our, our particular parks, the age range from anywhere from a young you know, mid-20s couple with small children up to people in their 30s, 40s and, and older. So, I mean, we're kind of capturing a large part of the market, but everybody still wants that experience. Yeah. What does is, what is glamping look like for you guys, I guess? what Do you guys have a lot of unique structures at your parks? Yeah. So what we started doing, I mean, obviously, park model cabins are a big part of our uh, lodging units, but we started uh, actually bringing in some safari glamping tents. And uh, it's the tents that have the full, all the bells and whistles, you know, full kitchens, bathrooms, you know, sleep six to eight people, um, you know, uh, air conditioning units. It's, it's, it's more like um, it's, 
I would call it a very, uh, it, again, that's a very unique experience. Yeah. Um, so we've done that. We've also looked at other options and different properties. You know, how can we you know, start doing tree houses and whatnot in different locations that offer different types of landscape that we have? So the glamping has been a big push in the industry, and we're seeing that those types of units are earning a high number of site nights per year. And um, so we'll, I think that we'll continue to see that trend be very popular. Yeah. How are you, you know, when you, you mentioned the pricing a little bit, when you look at the pricing, I know that's been, you know, some of the longer term RVers are like, you know, oh, their prices are getting so high, you know, it's getting, un, you know, unaffordable for some of them, I guess is what they say. But I, you know, when you look at the pricing, you know, how do you balance the pricing as far as like making sure your units are in the, in the range of where your campers want to spend their money, I guess? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think for us, what we do is we really take a look at how many nights per year those types of units, different types of units will earn based on their latitude. So, you know, we've done a lot of study on how many nights a year. Um, a typical site or lodging unit should be able to get depending on where it's located in the country as far as latitude goes. And if we see that we're achieving on the high end of those uh, site nights, then we know that we can still continue to push rate. If we feel like that the, uh, the site nights are not earning what they need to, then we're probably a little high, so we have to adjust accordingly. But what we do with regard to all of that, is that we don't have just one type of unit. We certainly go into it making sure that we have three different price points from a lodging standpoint to where we can make sure that we can accommodate people with different budgets. So, I mean, we, um, we certainly want to generate as much revenue as we can. We want to generate as much occupancy as we can, but we also know that we have to have different types of units for, for, uh, for different budgets, you know, to suit different people. So we really try hard to make sure when we purchase new units like this past this past um, project that we did at Pine Lakes, we brought in several different lodging options there. So you can rent something from $89 a night up to you know $200 a night as far as a lodging unit. So we can accommodate a large, um, a large group of different people. How do you balance the um, what you bring in to the parks? You know, I think another complaint we hear from RVers is, oh, they're building cabins and not RV sites, or they're replacing RV sites with cabins. How do you balance that out? Um, you know, what's that look like at your resorts to make sure that you have enough RV sites and the accommodation units? Again, that goes back to uh, taking a look at, you know, what are your current sites bringing in as far as occupancy yeah. goes? So if you have a high demand and you're at the top end of what you can earn per year, um at that latitude and then that means that okay well, we need to build some more rv sites or if you're not earning or if you're, you're if you're 50 percent from where you should be then maybe you don't have the demand in that location for rv compared to lodging so it's all based on data that we that we take a look at you know to make sure that we understand that our investment dollars are going where they will you know give us the most yield okay all right well, I think that's a good spot to take a break. We have to recognize our sponsor, Bush Tech Safari USA, and we will be back in a few seconds. No, ma'am. This is a five-star establishment. We do not have tents. Another one. Another one. With bespoke modern design, state-of-the-art craftsmanship, 
and only the finest quality materials, Bushtech Safari manufactures tents that take luxury to the next level. A true combination of five-star luxury and a five-billion-star experience. Tents. Better. Best. Bushtech. Hi, welcome back to WCM's Park Update, sponsored by Bush Tech Safari USA. And we are talking with Sean Vidrin, CEO of Four Points RV Resorts. And um, Sean, you were in Washington, D.C. recently, which, yep. uh, you know, you got you guys, you took part with the National Association of RV Parks and Campgrounds in Advocacy Day, which is part of the RV Industry Association's advocacy work that they do annually. <laughs> in Washington, D.C., so it's kind of a huge event, you know, RV industry, the campground sector, all coming and um, talking to elected officials. I guess, how did that go for you? It was uh, very interesting. It was the first time that I had participated uh, in D.C. Um, with ARVIC and uh, with RBIA, but I will tell you, um, it was um, it was a lot of fun. It was very interesting. It was busy. It was, you know, I mean, I think we had back-to-back meetings, you know, from early morning into late evening, you know, visiting with both uh, members of the House and Senate. And, um, you know, basically just bringing, you know, you know, topics that we're trying to get, you know, some attention in the RV industry that we think will help, you know, people in the industry. Yeah. So, a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I saw the pictures. It looked like you, you know, it's always, I don't know if anybody who hasn't been to the Capitol doesn't quite know, but it's kind of, it's, it's always interesting to go inside a huge building. And I'm sure you guys got to see a lot of places that normal people don't get to see as you were meeting with elected officials. So that must've been pretty neat just from that perspective. It, it was, it was certainly interesting to see how, how that works. Um, yeah. You know, get, getting from one location to the other. I mean, you know, it's like there's tunnels all underneath all those buildings <laughs> walking under streets and going from one location to the next. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. So, Sean, what was the mood there? Did, did, did any sense from uh, you or any of the other RVIA members that that things are better for the outdoor industry, a little bit harder to, to get uh, to get the support? You know, everybody that we've met with, um, for the most part, was very supportive of what we were trying to accomplish. Um, you know, some of the topics that we would that we discussed were a little bipartisan, but a lot of it was not. So it, it just really depended on who we met with. And we met with, we met with you know, both senators and um, congressmen from different parties. Um, so it was, you know, obviously they had a different, you know, take on certain topics. But, um, but you know, Arvik really did a really good job of putting the agenda together and making sure that we had all the information that we needed whenever we met with these individuals. So um, I would say... On a scale from one to ten, I would certainly give it a nine of how I felt like you know the participation was and the feedback that we got from the elected officials that we met with. And you guys were speaking on some pretty key topics. I know ones that Arvik really wants to focus on, like the repeal of the death tax. Yep. Um, I think uh, the electric vehicle infrastructure um, network funding. Um, oh man, I forget the other one, but. Uh, I mean, all those, all the topics you guys discussed are really going to impact park owners and something you want to advocate for. I know the ADA was in there too, giving people time to, you know, if they do anything with ADA, giving campground owners time to get caught up. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there was, uh, the ADA thing was very interesting and I didn't even realize that this was a thing, but apparently 
Um, there have been some uh, some frivolous lawsuits going out targeting businesses, not only campgrounds, but businesses that their websites were not ADA compliant. And how can a, how can a website not be ADA compliant? I, I did not realize this, but there's a lot of different ways. But one example is is that if, if an individual has a uh, has an impaired vision, um, supposedly if there's a picture on the website, the website if the way that you build it out on the back end, that it should something like, um, you know, there should be some kind of voiceover that describes that picture. And I, I had no idea that that was a thing, but that's just one of many examples. So what we're asking for on that is, you know, a lot of these business owners, they have no idea what they need to do with, with that regard. So, um, we're saying like give us give them a 90-day cure period and if they don't fix it then then obviously then you know there's an issue there but you know rather than just sending a lawsuit um you know you know trying to capture some money because somebody's out of compliance and you know you know we know that you know all of us in the industry for sure want to make sure that we do what we can for the ada we're not anti-ada we just want to make sure that if we miss something and this is truly an issue that you have we'll be more than happy to fix it as long as you're willing to give us an opportunity to do so so that was just, that was a pretty interesting topic so the ev also the pilot program is it was also very interested you know kind of um, advocating for a private public partnership for charging stations and campgrounds where we can get funding um, for people in the industry, campground owners, that they can put EV chargers in their parks um, that we can get some public funds for if we're able to partner with them on a section of land to put it. So uh, we felt, I mean, we got a lot of good feedback on that. And then also, like you said, the, the repeal of the death tax is something that for all of us, you know, that, you know, whenever you leave something to your kids or if you're in the industry generation after generation and you inherit a campground like that, um, you know, want to make sure that you can keep that in your family and not have to sell it to pay a tax. Were, were the elected officials you spoke with, you know, were they pretty excited to see you guys there? Were they pretty receptive to everything you guys were talking about? Absolutely. And, and, and we, we met with a lot of them that were also avid RVers. Yeah. Sean, as somebody that's a buyer in the, in the RV and campground market right now, uh, what's the inventory look like? Is it is it tightening up? Is it uh, are there still a lot of folks out there willing to sell? Um, you know, I mean, we still have deal flow for sure, um, but <clears throat> but I also believe that you know that some people are probably sitting back and saying to themselves that if they wait a few years, it might be a better time. Um, which certainly, as again, as interest rates come down and 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 capital is a little bit less expensive and banks start opening up a little bit more than. You know, obviously, we'll see more movement there, but uh, but there are certainly folks that are still in the category of wanting to retire and sell and enjoy their life. So, um, so we're seeing. You know, I wouldn't say that. Um, I wouldn't say that we're seeing people not sell. I just think that uh, you know, some of them that maybe wanted to retire in five years are going to probably retire in five years. Versus if they could have got a different price, they probably would have done that. So. Um, I wouldn't say that it's changed a whole lot. I think that what's, what we're seeing change a little bit more as we're starting to see a little bit more reasonable expectation on a price. So what's the perfect uh, purchase opportunity look like for Four Points? So first and foremost, we want to make sure that whatever we buy, that we have the ability to double or triple the size of the park and have land available to do that. Um, 
Obviously, if they have entitlements already in place, that, that makes it even better. That way we don't have to deal with a lot of regulatory issues. Uh, but we also look, you know, for natural land features in a natural setting that, you know, that people can enjoy whenever they're there. But, but for us, we don't buy, pro everything that we do is value add. So we want to make sure that whatever we buy, we have the ability to expand and amenitize at a high level to create demand. Yeah, definitely. Um, are you, are, have you met any park owners that have regrets that they didn't sell? Like, you know, maybe they missed their window, I guess. <laughs> um, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there are some people out there that probably said, well, we sold too soon. And some said, well, we held out too long, yeah. but, um, but I haven't had anybody come up to us and say, man, we should have sold two years ago. I haven't, I haven't really seen that. What's what's the first amenity you guys put in when you take over a park? What works everywhere? A water feature always does. So, like, you know, a water park, if the park is, it only has, like, a small pool, anytime that we can add water features, uh, like we just did at Pine Lakes, you know, we have the Whippet on the lake. We have, um, you know, now the water slides and the splash pads and the pools and all that all together. Um, that really that really drives a lot of demand and gets people excited. So if you have the ability to put in an ice water feature, I would highly recommend doing so. Is is that like the most visible thing you can do too? Campers probably see that. Absolutely, most? it's yeah. it's very visual. Um, creates a lot of excitement. You know, it's good for marketing. Um, and like I said, it just it it just helps drive demand. So. Um, you know, now with that being said, in what order do you do that? I mean, you can't put in, you know, a $3 million water park with 50 sites. So what we try to do is take a look at the inventory that we have available to us and make sure that, number one, can it support the investment of, of an amenity that's not going to really maybe generate a ton of revenue by itself, you know, without having, you know, the right amount of uh, inventory. So sometimes we'll do it but you know at the same time so when we did pine lakes i mean we put the water park in but we also added 30 lodging units and 40 sites at the same time to make sure that we have the inventory there to where we can drive enough revenue to help pay for that so you know it's uh, it, there's a fine balance there you know now if you have a if you have a 400 site park that you buy that's that's probably not producing uh, the revenue that it should then a, a high-end water feature will certainly help get those get that inventory and start compressing your inventory and help you drive rate yeah definitely um i guess you know uh what's like some of the other amenities that are a hit with your campers i guess i know we're here a lot about like bike rentals um different things like that you guys do that at your parks yeah so uh golf cart rentals for sure gaga ball pits jumping pillows water wars games um you know, jumping pads are popular, any, you know, laser tag, you know, these gel blaster games, all that kind of stuff like that is popular. And as far as other amenities that we really try to um, do a good job on is typically we'll go out and build or remodel the, uh, the ranger station, the camp store to where we make sure that we have all kind of souvenirs as well as products that people may need while they're camping on site, as well as, you know, a nice clean, and new uh, remodeled uh, bathhouse, you know, so yeah. you know, I do all of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, the bathhouse is like the number one thing for people, yeah. I guess. It, so it, they, want, they want a nice bathhouse. So absolutely. you got to give it to them. I know Mike and I talk a lot about electric vehicles, and you mentioned that's something that Arvik was uh, 
kind of advocating for more funding on Capitol Hill. I guess, what's that look like for Four Points? Do you guys have any EV chargers or any plans to install those? You know, that's a good question. We have certainly talked about it. It is certainly on our radar. And um, there, there's a couple of issues, you know, obviously that we have to, that we have to work through there is, you know, the, you know, where do you put them? Where, where's the, you know, how much do they cost? I mean, a charging station for, a, for, you know, three or four chargers is very expensive and you're not going to get much revenue off of it. So that's why we believe that this EV pilot program, this private public partnership to where there are dollars available um, that Arvic is working, you know, to, to make a decision on how they're going to go about, you know, helping get this funded. But, um, David Bassler could certainly talk more about that in, in depth, but but basically, um, if if we're able to capture public dollars and we're able to donate a portion of a small portion of land, like in the parking lot area, to where that can come in, that makes more sense rather than having to go out and have a very large investment in a charging station that's not going to give or generate much of a return. So that's why this makes a lot of sense. And then. And then uh, I think we're going to wrap up here pretty soon, but just real quick, you have like a number of resorts in the path of totality for this eclipse that's coming in 2024. Yes. Have you had any interest in the eclipse yet from like campers? Do they want to reserve sites? We are getting a ton of calls about that. Uh, <laughs> it's we, we are, we are actually working very hard to put a program together and, uh, and and make that come together sooner rather than later. Uh, our uh, chief technology and chief marketing officer, Matt Vandermolen, is like dialed into what's going on with this eclipse because the parks are getting getting a lot of emails and a lot of phone yeah. calls about it. So that's going to be kind of cool. So I'm, I'm certainly going to have to make sure that I'm at one of those locations whenever that happens. Well, hopefully you got your branded goofy glasses already ordered because <laughs> right. they're going to be in high demand. Right. And I know, I think we spoke with Jellystone, uh, Jellystone's, uh, you know, president, Rob Shooter, a few weeks ago, and he mentioned they're doing some, maybe some merchandise on the Jellystone side. So that should help you out, right? Absolutely. I mean, I will yeah. tell you, man, when it comes to their retail team, and, and those guys are on it, uh, they do a great job. And so it, it doesn't surprise me that they're going to have product available that we can that we could sell at our locations, you know, the, the branded uh, Jellystone stuff. So that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, it was great talking with you, Sean. And um, I'm sure I've met you at conferences in the past, but um, I'm getting older, so I forget things and I forget faces. So um, it was great talking with you today, Sean, and it was great getting an update on Four Points RV Resorts. And uh, just thanks, everyone, for watching this week and uh, thanks to our sponsor bush tech safari usa and we will see everyone back here for the show next week thank both of y'all for having me i really enjoyed it thanks yeah. john yeah thanks take care thank you for listening to wcm's park update a production of woodall's campground magazine join us for a new show each tuesday at 3 p.m eastern on facebook youtube and wherever you listen to podcasts Follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn for daily news and updates and subscribe to our news feed on our website at woodallscm.com. Show hosts are Ben Quiggle and Mike Gast. Executive producers Rick Kessler and Alex Burkett. Copyright 2022, G&G Media Group.